Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. dust was still swirling, making everyone cough. There was that queer, disorientating atmosphere that Kay had always noticed at sites like this. The air felt charged, as if with a rapidly beating pulse, as if still ringing, physically vibrating, as if the atoms that made up the house, the garden, the people themselves, had been jolted out of their moorings and were still in the process of settling back. Kay was aware, too, of the building behind her, threatening its collapse. She went very quickly from person to person, tucking blankets over their shoulders and shining her torch, looking into their faces. You're listening to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that's curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books, presented by me, Lloyd Shepherd, and you, Tim Wright. I'm Tim Wright. Hello. Nice reading. Thank you very much. Uh, that was the reading from The Night Watch. I feel I was slightly choked by the dust in my basement. The Night Watch by Sarah Waters. The Night Watch by Sarah Waters, a book that takes place somewhere between 1941 and 1947. Yep. Uh, this is part two of our adventure. Uh, we are, we've already been taking you to Lavender Hill to, to find a bombed-out house there. We've been to Wormwood Scrubs. Yep. You'd been there before, though, right? Uh, <laughs> All we around to, it. Uh, we've been to Brunson Square. and We've been to Rathbone Place. Uh, but now so we, we've been sort of south, north, east, yeah, well, west, all over London. Now we're about to embark on a walk from um, Rathbone Place mm-hmm. in just by uh, Tottenham Court Road in W1, where Helen um, is, uh, is. It's her has, birthday. Has got it's her birthday. She's gone to bed mm. for a sleep while Kay, uh, her girlfriend, is working on the London Auxiliary Ambulance Service yes. overnight. But Helen is feeling restless and unsettled because she can't stop thinking about Julia, mm. who is a friend of Kay's, or an old girlfriend of Kay's, actually, exactly. who she's met some time before and has actually been having kind of uh, cups of tea with 
Yes, in uh, rabbit sandwiches. In rabbit sandwiches. We all know um, what that means. Uh, so Kay lives, um, uh, Julia lives in Mecklenburg Place, uh, over towards the city, so uh, east of uh, Rathbone Place. Quite near Charles Dickens's house, by the way. Indeed, on Doughty Street. So uh, Helen is uh, is tossing and turning and eventually decides, even though there's a raid on, that she's going to walk to Mecklenburg Place. And declare her passionate love. And we are going to walk with her. Yes. Through the streets of a bombed out, exhausted, tired London. When are you going to declare your passionate love? For who? <laughs> she had reached Russell Square Underground Station and the streets were busier here. She caught up briefly in a little knot of people who'd just come up from the platforms and were standing around rather helplessly, waiting for their eyes to grow used to the darkness. The sight of them, like the sounds from the Rathbone Place pubs, gave her more confidence. She went on, past the gardens of the Foundling Estate, hesitated only once at the mouth of Mecklenburg Place, and then pushed on into the square. So here we are. In Mecklenburg Square. You say it took us 28 minutes. So Helen walks from Rathbone Place to here, through Bloomsbury. We've just done the same walk. She's a younger, fitter person. She's a younger, fitter person. Yeah, it took us 28 minutes. We were marching somewhat. Mm. So it's probably a 25-minute, half-hour walk. I think this is the bit in the book where I fell in love with it, actually. Yeah. I think this whole sequence about Helen's birthday and then her deciding she must see Julia and declare her love and then them going out into the night yeah. and the bombs dropping while they get it on yeah. uh, in a, near a church. Well, we haven't got reached that bit yet. Well, I'm, I'm You're getting ahead of yourself. Well, while they get it on. Yeah, we're going to find a place where they... Ha- yeah, we've got to find a little shop. You're hoping to reenact it. Yeah, mate. Come on. <laughs> um, so I thought the whole that whole... I loved it. It is, you know, you said that you, we were talking about the fact that you felt there was an element of sort of uh, sort of romance, Catherine Cookson yeah. about the, this the, book. The phrase Catherine Cookson was mentioned. Yeah, and and I I, I agreed, but I didn't mind. No, I and I think this sequence is is a bit like that. It's very um, emotional and sort of big emotions, or repressed emotion as well, obviously. But it's quite melodramatic, isn't it? It's very melodramatic. We're sitting in front of a terrace of houses, uh, 47, 46, 45, 44, 43. It's quite good, isn't it, in the one in the cor- northwest corner of Mecklenburg Square? Yes, it shows you that Julia is from quite a posh-moneyed family that she can afford to, to live here, I'd say. Um, I'm going to surprise you here. Are you? That um, somebody quite fashionable and famous lived here in the 40s until she was bombed out of her house. Okay. Probably in, in that Mecklenburg Square. In Mecklenburg Square, yeah. Virginia Woolf. And um, I found an article written by her on October the 21st, 1940, called Thoughts on Peace in an Air Raid. Well, I actually, I actually think there's some quite a lot of Virginia Woolf about Julia. Well, so do I. And I think that's yeah. quite deliberate. Yeah. It's a great article, this, by the way. Up there in the sky, young Englishmen and young German men are fighting each other. The defenders are men, the attackers are men. Arms are not given to English women, either to fight the enemy or to defend herself. She must lie weaponless tonight. Yet if she believes that the fight going on up in the sky is a fight by the English to protect freedom, by the Germans to destroy freedom, she must fight, so far as she can, on the side of the English. Women of ability 
are held down because of a subconscious Hitlerism in the hearts of men. Certainly we are held down. We are equally prisoners tonight, the Englishmen in their planes, the English women in their beds. But if he stops to think he may be killed, and we too, so let us think for him. Let us try to drag up into consciousness the subconscious Hitlerism that holds us down. It is the desire for aggression, the desire to dominate and enslave. Even in the darkness we can see that made visible. We can see shop windows blazing and women gazing, painted women, dressed up women, women with crimson lips and crimson fingernails. They are slaves who are trying to enslave. If we could free ourselves from slavery, we should free men from tyranny. Hitlers are bred by slaves. Good, huh? Mm. She wrote that here. When did she write it? 1941. Okay, so she's in the middle of an air raid. In the Blitz. Yeah. Very good. So, right here, right now. Right here, right now. So I can't... I, I think Sarah Waters knows Virginia Woolf lived here and that her house got bombed here. Don't you think? I think so. I hope so. Cause it's I bet worked, she's well. read of all of that stuff. So we're halfway along uh, Helen's journey. Yes, because then they go out tonight. This is so now she picks, she picks up Julia and then they walk out of here towards the city of London. She declares her love. I love you. Um, I'd like to try and do exactly what they do in the book. I hope. Uh, up to a point. <laughs> uh, in terms of the directions. Not with me, you won't. <laughs> in terms of the directions. <laughs> it's physically oh impossible I feel physically, for you to do. <laughs> I feel physically ill. Words, English words, are full of echoes, memories, associations. They've been out and about on people's lips. In our houses, in the streets, in the fields, for so many centuries. And that is one of the chief difficulties in writing them today. They're stored with other meanings, with other memories. And they have contracted so many famous marriages in the past. The splendid word incarnadine, for example, who can use that without remembering multitudinous seas? So, so the bombs are dropping. Bombs are dropping, uh, which is curious in 1944. Well, the, 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 the Blitz itself had taken place in 1940 and 1941. Yes. And by 1944, pretty much everyone had expect, thought it was all over. There That's right. There not be any more bombing. Uh, they actually referred to it as the Great Lull. Large crowds out in the streets on New Year's Eve. 1944. They just didn't expect anything to come. Anything to come. Crazy. Uh, and also London was pretty much... Exhausted by this stage. Yeah. Lots of freezing fogs, I read, at this time of year. Really tough winter. She talks about the tough winter in the book. Yeah. There'd also been a drought the previous summer, um, so it meant that there weren't many potatoes. Oh, and a world uh, without potatoes. veg. What are we fighting for? And uh, the other thing that was interesting is she's got this right as well. Wine was very hard to come by. Now, Julia pours some wine, doesn't she, for Helen, but it's Algerian wine. We've talked about Algerian Algerian wine before, before, haven't we? we? Uh, What was that? That was Ballad of Peckham Rye. Ballad of Peckham Rye. Algerian wine. Algerian wine. So so it's a tough, you know, people are a bit exhausted. So, um, you know, they're not really expecting the Germans to come back with bombs. Nobody expects Operation Steinbock. But then on the 21st of January, I think you're going to tell me. I am. The first attack. Yeah. Um, the thing about this is, is the Germans called it Operation Steinbock. What does that mean? I've no idea, actually. I didn't look that up. Sounds um, like beer. Unternehmen Steinbock. Yeah. Uh, I suppose I could put it into Google Translate and try and find out what that means. 
It was basically the last strategic air offensive by the German Bomber Command during World War II. It was the last hurrah. It was essentially a response to, obviously, the Americans turning up and bombing the shit out of them. It means Capricorn. Okay. It says in the notes I have here that it achieved very little. Mm. Uh, The Germans suffered a loss of over 300 planes during the operation. Um, and obviously it disrupted their preparations for defending against D-Day. So by the mm. time D-Day came, they didn't have enough planes to de- to defend themselves properly because they used them all up on this pointless yeah. uh, show of strength. It's to really sort of mystifying, isn't a, it? A show of revenge. Now, at that first raid on the 21st, the night of the 21st of January 1944, um, it was mainly centred around Waterloo. They sent 230 planes over with 500 tonnes of explosive. Do you want to guess how many actually managed to get to London? Well, I've, the, the, the Ziegler book says 268 bombs fell that night, so presumably very far fewer planes arrived in London than set up. It says that 15 planes managed to get through out of 230. Blimey. And only 30 tonnes of the 500 tonnes of explosive was dropped. Amazing. And that was generally the pattern... Yeah. of this operation, of this mini blitz. Well, they did manage to hit the Palace of Westminster and set it on fire. Well, that was one of the features, wasn't it? There was an emphasis on incendiary bombs rather than the blitz had been very much about explosive devices. I think because of what had happened to them in Germany, they had this idea that they were going to create an inferno, yeah. a bit Dresden-like. Yeah. And I have to say, they actually got quite close to it. After, after a load of... Uh, uh, during January, not effective. No. Hadn't done very well at all. Um, so la- largely to do with their navigation systems were all screwed up by by um, British uh, sort of counter signals and stuff. Yeah. So they didn't know where they were flying most of the time. Yeah. Um, and that Goering's attempt uh, idea of this is why don't you just fly when there's a full moon, uh, so that you don't have to use your navigation device. You just see where you're going. To which Pelt said, "No, we're not going to do that because we'll just get shot down." Oh. <laughs> um, they managed to bomb East Anglia by mistake. On on Valentine's Day. Are you sure it was by mistake? <laughs> Are you absolutely sure? No, I'm not. No. no. But their most effective time, actually, they got their act together um, on the 18th and 19th of February. Yeah, that was a big one, wasn't it? Yeah, they did actually get 184 bombers reach London. And um, they did actually bomb the shit out of um, London, including Hatton Garden, where they walk. Yeah. In the book, well, also three hundred. In- I read in that raid, three hundred incendiaries fell on wormwood scrubs. Yes, that's right. Which is interesting because in the book, there's a there's a scene where Fraser's doing his nut about the bombs coming closer, but that's after the eighteenth of February. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss the dates. Come on to that. But the anyway, other thing that what's was weird that- is that they did that the, from between the eighteenth and twenty third of February, they sort of got their act together, and apparently it was touch and go on on the twenty second, twenty third. They dropped so many incendiary devices that it was there was it was very close to the 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 fact that there was going to be a kind of Dresden fire yeah, thing yeah. in London. It was just the whole place was going to go up. Yeah. Well, and one thing that was hit in that raid, London Library, oh. twenty thousand books lost in that alone. So a bloke called James Lee Milne, a writer, was was joined in the salvage work. Because it is a tragic sight. Theology, which one could best do without, practically wiped out. Oh. <laughs> and biography, which one can't, partially. The books lying torn and coverless, scattered under debris and in a pitiable state, enough to make one weep. So they came close. It's quite weird because what happened was that they then, on the, after the 23rd of February, when they'd sort of come close to mm. breaking London, they moved off to Hull in yeah. March. And they didn't... Um, Another fortnight. Uh, they and that was the end then. of the... They came back in the end of March. 
21st to the 25th of March was the last sort of big blowout. And then yeah. obviously they just ran out of planes. Well, the I read the last raid was the 18th of April. Yes, in April they were raids, but they were pretty ineffective. That's pretty small. They were pretty, pretty small. ineffective, and they and by that stage they were easy pickings because they were using yeah. quite old, slow planes by then. All their junk, old, old Dorniers, or, uh, rather than their state-of-the-art well, Junkers, because yeah, they'd used a, them all up. I have to say though, the twenty-fourth, the night of the twenty-fourth was the last big raid. Yeah. Now two things happened there. One is twenty-fourth of March. Twenty-fourth of March, nineteen forty-four. Yeah. St. Dunstan in the West wow. was destroyed. In the West? Oh. Okay. Yes, yeah, so we'll come on to that. We'll come on Because we're that. heading towards St. Dunstan in the East, aren't we? We are. Yeah, but St. Dunstan was, was, was hit bang on. Where's St. Dunstan in the West? It was in the West, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what, Monument Valley? And the other place that really copped it large on the 24th of March, West Norwood. Was it? Yeah. West Norwood? Oh, yeah. there was a big phone exchange here, wasn't there? Was I, but there was a lot of bombs in West Norwood that night, severely damaged. And when everybody, you know where they'd be, don't you? Right. They'd be in their basements. <laughs> we are right now. We're in the basement in West Norwood. We're reenacting re the last great the day of the baby blitz, sitting in a basement waiting for the bombs to drop. Everyone says how grateful they are that St Paul's hasn't been touched. But I don't know. It seems freakish to me. Helen looked at her. You can't wish it had been bombed. I'd rather it had been bombed, naturally, than a family in Croydon or Bethnal Green. Meanwhile, it sits here like, not like a toad, but like some great Union Jack or like Churchill. Britain can take it, all of that somehow making it all right that the war's still going on. It does make it all right, though, doesn't it? asked Helen quietly. In the sense, I mean, that while we've still got St Paul's, I'm not talking about Churchill or flags, but while we've still got this and all it stands for, I mean elegance and reason and, and great beauty, then the war is still worth fighting, isn't it? Is that what this war's about? asked Julia. So Julia war. is a Bloomsbury appeaser. She's one of that lot. Well, she's a bit Virginia Woolf, do we not think? Yeah, yeah. well, I thought Virginia Woolf was a bit of a, right? a bit more poetic. About Where are we, Lloyd? We're sitting on the steps of St Paul's Cathedral. Oh, it's noisy Feed here, it? the birds, tuppence a bag. Surrounded by uh, the returning foreign language students. Yes, who, uh, who, lots of tourists. Uh, I don't think I've ever sat on the steps of St Paul's like a tourist. But uh, they stop here on the way, obviously, on they their do. walk. They talk about the uh, walk. I've been, I've been timing us. So we've walked from Mecklenburg Square to here, and it's taken us 35 minutes. And they also, they, we didn't go on down onto Blackfriars Bridge, so they carry on down Farringdon Road. Yeah, and then they hold hands at Blackfriars Bridge. And they hold the hands on Blackfriars Bridge. And then they come and then back, they up back up here. So I reckon you can add Good another hour. 20 minutes to that yeah so it's best part of an hour to do this walk and this is after Helen's already walked for half an hour from uh, hour and a half place what time do you think she left home well does she, she gets out of bed doesn't she that's right yeah she's so gone to bed late. so I think it's probably she probably leaves about 11 11 30 right. so what time does Kay get off work 
Well, this is this is the because uh, she's back in bed by the time Kay gets home. Yeah, how does she? And they've still got to make their still way. Got to get down, we've got to go down Lombard Street. We've got to go down Lombard and Street. And have a rabbit sandwich. Not a euphemism. <laughs> Going down Lombard Street for a rabbit sandwich. Yeah. Love. It's our own Polari. Yeah, <laughs> Polari. No, if anybody knows what that is. That's, that's mildly offensive, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, thank you. I'll do the offensive bit. So, yeah, you carry on. Uh, yeah, so they stop here They stop here for a bit of a chat, don't they? They do, about the war. The, the blasted war yeah. and how it's getting in the way is of Is Julia representing a sort of an intellectual thread of argument there about how this has to end, this should stop? Yes. If only this would stop. Well, it's like Jeremy Corbyn saying, I condemn both sides equally. You know, well, it's I don't like, know about that. Yeah, you've got to take a side. So they always say that. So I'm um, the voice of Churchill on this one. <laughs> just on this one. Just on this on this subject. I just think there's something quite offensive about Julia's sort of like. Well, you know, at least it's not a family in Croydon or Bethnal Green. Is that all right? You know, sort of, what did you call it? Virtue signalling. I don't think they had virtual signalling in 1944. <laughs> yeah, but they, they had. They might have not had the words, but they had the behaviour. Uh, you wanted to talk about the Little Fire of London or the Second the Fire Second of Great Fire, not the, the Second Great fire. fire of London. The Second Great Fire. The During reason the Blitz. I wanted to say, talk about it was the fact that obviously they allude to the fact this idea that St Paul's was protected. And there's the iconic photograph there is. of St Paul's surviving Surrounded by flames. Surrounded by flames. And the second great fire of London, it was one of the most destructive air raids of the Blitz during World War II. It was the uh, night of the 29th of December, 1940. So just the end of the year, just after Christmas. Nice little Hitler's Christmas present. And it was an American correspondent uh, who dubbed it the second great fire of London. But it was started, the first incendiary bomb that dropped in the area broke through the dome of St Paul's Cathedral, yeah. which was being guarded by a watch team. So it did get hit. The River Thames was at low tide, uh, and um, the main water main had been damaged by bombs. So they didn't have that much water. There we the are. church is talking back to you. Proof. The main, the main loss, the main lost during this raid was the publishing industry. Okay. Because obviously it used to be around here at Paternoster Row was yeah. the big publishing area. 20 publishing houses were totally or partially destroyed that in that one night. And Stationers Hall was also lost. So an estimated 5 million books were lost in the fire. I think we're going to get onto this when we get to our next destination and finish the walk. Yeah. Um, that all this bombing around these areas is really in 1940, isn't it? 1940, 41, yeah. 41. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that uh, when they're walking, but I think here, the when section, walking here in... I think the special section speaks to that because she talks about the churches being bombed. But y- uh, we, can, yes. we can talk about all the churches and we get yeah. to... Uh, but in terms of the bombing raid that's taking place while they're out and about on that night yes. in 44, this is the one... Point, I might take Sarah Waters okay. up on say, I don't think. I don't know. I thought I thought I had her at Mecklenburg. I thought I had her at Mecklenburg Square, but yeah, but one comma. It turned out I was wrong. A comma, a comma made all you. the difference. I genuinely thought I was going to say she's got her left and right wrong, and no, she no. hasn't. She got her left. So I'm sorry, comma and right. I fear you Correct. may be up against a superior <laughs> mind here. That's what you said, wasn't it? Yeah. 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So, uh, Kay is working for the London Auxiliary Ambulance Service. Yes. Although it's never called that in the book, actually. Uh, but that is what she's working for. Okay. It was set up by the London County Council. Now, one of the interesting things, it was mainly women who volunteered for it. It's very hard to find any good information about the London Auxiliary Ambulance Service That's online. interesting, isn't it? It had 5,000 volunteer drivers in attendance, and they were organised into 112 auxiliary ambulance stations. Each station had 80 people working for it and was run 24 hours a day. So the, only, the, the best thing I could find on it was a thing about Station 39. Now, she mentioned Station 39 in the book, and I think that's deliberate because in the notes she talks about a, mem- a memoir of working in Station 39, which is about the only book I can find that's been published uh, by about the London Auxiliary Service. Okay, Auxiliary she's Ambulance very sorry, Service. isn't she? So May Greenup and the London Ambulance Auxiliary Service, I'll put the link to this up on our Patreon page. In March 1939, the government appealed to all women to volunteer for full or part-time ambulance service. Volunteers who can drive a car are urgently required, and one of the finest contributions a woman driver can make to national services to enrol for the work. Free training is given. So May Greenup uh, enrolled in 1940. She was too old at 38 to join the women's services. Father was a retired police officer. And there's a really nice description of Station 39, which was at Lawn Road, sorry, in Weymouth Mews, near Harley Street. It consisted of four large garages, each of which could hold four ambulances. One garage was converted into an office area where the t- telephone was manned, and there was a recreational room with ping-pong table. Now, it's quite evocative because her Kay's station is in 
Dolphin Square yep. car park. She talks about garages. And she, it's, she's clearly read this, right? Yes. And there was a flat with restrooms, a canteen, two bathrooms, a common room where staff provided their own chairs and lilos so they could sleep on the floor. There were 80, 80 people working, uh, mainly women, but there had to be two men on every shift. Of course. Not entirely clear why. <laughs> Self-evident. Uh, each stretcher carried two blankets plus hot water bottles. There was no heating. That's all mentioned in the book. Dirty okay. dressings were removed in the hospital and placed in a bag to take home for washing and re-rolling. So they, they washed the, 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 the bandages. Yeah. The basic task was, collect, was to collect the injured or dismembered bodies. Oh, they do that in the book. There's a very well. powerful scene where Kay has to horrible. pick yeah. up a dismembered body they take them from to a Smithfield. site that had been bombed, and they take them to a first aid post hospital or morgue. Now, the the hospital they take them to is described as being on Horse Ferry Road. Yeah, so that's the old Westminster Hospital. Okay, which closed. But at some point, they take body parts to the Smithfield where they're going yeah. to take them to the cold store. Yeah. Blech. There seemed no provision made to protect workers against trauma of delivering separate limbs to refrigerators in Billingsgate Fish Market. Oh, in Billingsgate, where they were stored for identification. I think she says Smithfield. I'm sure it's just amazing, isn't it? It's anyway. Just amazing. So yeah, that, so that was going on all the way through the war. Uh, what else did I say about that? She talks about the the uniform, doesn't she? That Kay's wearing. Well, uh, the clothing's th- important, isn't it? Well, originally they were uh, they were issued with the lancer fronted blue coat, but then from 1941 it was just serge uniforms. Yeah, but they were allowed uniforms. to wear trousers. Trousers. Yeah. So yeah, worth checking out the uh, the station thirty nine stuff. When when, uh, when Kay and Mackie turn up at various places to look Mickey. after Mickey, sorry, yeah. when Kay and Mickey uh, turn up to rescue various people, quite often the people being rescued think they're young men, don't they? Because uh, they've got short haircuts and they're wearing trousers and yeah. coats. And so they um, and that, that's a that's part of the point, isn't it? That women were allowed to be a bit. Uh, freer about what they were wearing and how they had their hair and all, all that, and whether they wore makeup or not and what kind of shoes they could wear and what yeah. kind of job they could do, right? Yeah. Uh, so that was all part of the exci- excitement. Is it excitement? Well, I think it, it meant the lived experience was was entirely different, wasn't it? For, uh, for the, I mean, Kay is... Uh, they don't really go into Kay's background very much, do they? But Kay and Julia are obviously, you know, from... Actually, fairly well-to-do backgrounds. Oh, absolutely, independently wealthy. Both um, it said to me, it said on gov.uk. I looked up. It said that by, by mid 1943, 90% of single women and 80% of married women were working in factories on the land or in the armed forces or in some kind of organisation. So basically, all women were yeah. out there doing something. Amazing, isn't it? And um, I think it's quite good. This book came out in 2006. The um, the um, uh, monument to women in, of World War Two that's on the Mall. That was opened by Betty, unveiled rather, by Betty Boothroyd in 2005. So it's quite timely, wasn't it, that this book came out well, at I that say, point? Look, I mean, I, the, the thing that I would take away from this is, first of all, it's very hard to find anything about the London Auxiliary Ambulance Service. It hasn't been written about any. The Philip Ziegler book, The People's War, yeah. doesn't even mention it. Yeah. No mention of the London Auxiliary Ambulance Service. Which and I then think to is, say that 90% of women are, are, are doing all these amazing mission-critical jobs. I know. And there's not a uh, there's not a cultural mm-hmm. literature about it. Which again, which is again, Sarah was she's good, isn't she? she? It's about she's she's trying to, you know, write these people back into history through fiction. I think I it's agree. really good. Yeah. Here's a job for women motorists: the London Auxiliary Ambulance Service. Drivers are urgently wanted, either voluntary or paid, part time or full time, but full time if possible. If you are not already doing useful war work, apply at London's County Hall or your local Town Hall. Go to it. 
This is Idle Lane, she murmured. Or she might, Helen suppose, have said Idle Lane. It's just along here. Helen hung back. It's too dark. But it's just down here, said Julia. Her grip slid from Helen's elbow to her hand. She squeezed her fingers and led her down a sloping path, and then, a little way along it, made her stop. She swung up the beam of her torch, and Helen could just make out in the sweep of it the shape of a tower, a high and elegant tower, with a sharp, slender spire supported by arches or buttresses, or simply blown through, perhaps by a bomb blast, for the body of the church from which it rose seemed to be roofless, gutted, quite wrecked. St Dunstan in the east, said Julia quietly, looking up. It was rebuilt by Wren, like most of these churches, after the Great Fire of 1666, but they say that his daughter Jane helped him to design it. She's supposed to have gone to the top to lay the last stones when the mason lost his nerve, and when they drew away the scaffolding she lay down here to show her faith that the tower wouldn't fall. I like to come here. I like to think of her making her way up the tower steps with bricks and a trowel. Ah, well, there we are. A, 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 a female architect written out of history by the patriarchy. Yeah. I think that's the lesson we learned from that, isn't it? I think that's why we're here, isn't it? If only she'd got her history right. Uh, oh, is it wrong? Well, here we are at St Dunstan's in yeah. the east. Uh, it's a lovely spot we've got here. Yeah. We sort of, we look up and the planes are going out overhead. Teenagers taking pictures of us. I really recommend <laughs> coming here. It's, um, it's a beautiful garden. It's been designed as a sort of wonderful garden. Yeah, in the ruins of the church. In the ruins of the bombed out church. It, the key thing here is that if Christopher Wren's daughter did design this church, she wasn't very good at it. Oh dear. <laughs> because in 1817, it was found that the weight of the nave roof had thrust the walls seven inches out of the perpendicular. It was decided to rebuild the church from the level of the arches, but the state of the structure proved so bad that the whole building was taken down and it was rebuilt to a design in the perpendicular style by David Lang. So it was so badly put together by Christopher Wren's daughter oh that they had to take it down and rebuild it. Oh That's not good, right? <laughs> oh God. So she's made these two women walk all the way across London so she can come here and make, make a, a point, point about Jane Wren. Good job I wasn't there, right? <laughs> that would be a bit of a downer. <laughs> so we've done the whole walk. So we've done, um, well, we walked Helen's section from Rathbone Place to Mecklenburg Square, yeah, which we thought was about half an hour. And then we walked from Mecklenburg Square to here. Yes. We did it in an hour. We stopped at St Paul's. We stopped at St Paul's. But they went down to... They walked all the way down to Blackfriars yeah. Bridge and back up which we didn't do yeah. uh, and they were doing it at night in the blackout so we reckon at least an hour and a half so and that's four hours four hours she's out we reckon well that, and that's without the, each way without the snog in Lombard Street without, well, which we haven't on, done yet de- depending on how the you're snog, putting that off aren't you de- well it depends how long it is well as I said to you I said it usually takes me about three minutes <laughs> <laughs> okay. that's a lot I didn't realise I had to bring you to fruition <laughs> <laughs> in this reenactment. Oh, well, then it's just a minute and a half. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's an amazing walk. If you want to it do is. it, we'll put the maps up for our uh, Patreon subscribers. And uh, But uh, but she's having to get a shift on it. She, say she the book is very accurate. It is very about accurate. The, the churches they pass on the way. They You're going to have a little... I'm going to list all the churches. I won't do them now. But there's about eight or nine churches that she lists, some of which are no longer there, some of which have been restored. Fascinating. 
There's lots, and of, young, there's lots of young people taking pi- climbing up into the windows and having pictures taken. Yes, I blame Instagram for this. It's a vanity sensor, isn't no, it? No, it's great. It's Instagram. It, well, yeah. it's perfect, isn't it? It's all sort it of is goth- perfect. gothic-y, um, uh, sort of neo-gothic, um, Dante Gabriel Rossetti aesthetic kind of, kind of. Oh, look at me in the gothic arches of the church in the garden, the green. But yes, it's a it's a wonderful place. It I is. imagine it's fe- featured on a few album covers in its time. But you can see why she'd bring her here, though, don't you, in the dark? I think there was... Well, what I, what I don't understand is why they waited until they got up onto Lombard Street for their... Uh, for um, the snot, for the... For, for the, a little bit of... Um, for a copper field. Throat jockey. <laughs> throat jockeying. Yes. I think they were going to, and then she got frightened. Right. Who got frightened? Julia? No, Helen, because the bombs started going off. Oh. So Julia brought her here and then to she say... she gets frightened. This is where Jane Wren... Built yeah. church badly, and I'm gonna, give yeah. you, I'm gonna give you a snog here. Yeah, and then it ruins because Helen yeah. gets frightened. Yeah, so she said, I, I, need, I need to go. Helen is quite annoying, isn't she? She is quite annoying. She's very sort of needy, and then also she's very jealous and possessive once she's in yeah. a relationship. Yeah, she's, she's yes. a difficult person, I would think. And, she, and, and she's also the one who, you know, walks away from Kay and to Julia. She's yes. the Judas in the story. Yes, but then it's funny that then she's so paranoid about Julia and yeah. Ursula. Well, that's often how it goes. Oh, hello. I don't know. I mean, you said that with feeling, though. Well, isn't that the classic story that the person who is actually the uh, the, the least reliable one is the most jealous? Oh, that's, well, I don't isn't know. Isn't that a classic of uh, romantic literature? Oh, I haven't read as much of it as you have. Clearly, I don't know. I haven't read any of it, and I'm. Uh, I'm not talking. I think what we were talking about in a walk was that, but this book is very always seems to be about uh, you're never with the person, the right person at the right time. You're yeah, you said that. You said that. I didn't agree with you. Oh, you didn't agree <laughs> with me. No. I think it's. Uh, I think it's a story about. Um, I think. Well, I think the story. It's very clever the way it's told, told in reverse, yeah. because when when Helen is, when Kay first meets Helen, which is at the end of the book. Mm, Helen is nice. actually in a in the rubble of a uh, of a bomb site yeah. in 1941 in the in the in the Blitz, and uh, it's like it's like Case found a doll, you know, a perfect little doll that she can look after. Gosh. And then the whole birthday scene in 1944, I just think is really coercive. It's Kay dressing her up and saying, "Behave like she this." She buys her a silk pajama set. Yeah, and makes her put it on, and and you find that uh, it's a controlling. Bit well, I just think it's a bit controlling. That's funny, isn't it? Because I, I was on Kay's side all the way, that, but that's probably no. me being controlling. No, I don't know. I, I, I thought, I, what a, that's I, a lovely present, and why is she being so churlish about it? Well, yeah, but at the same time, I think Helen is being churlish about it. I think what's clever about this book is nobody behaves well. No, they don't. Everyone's, mis- everyone's behaving badly in some way or another, and uh, the heart will do what the heart will do. But oh, uh, that's nice. The only character I, I really like in all. the whole... The only character in the whole, right, I really like in the whole book is Mickey. Do you now? You oh, want to go and live in a houseboat with Mickey? She's just, fa- you know, she's like always look after you. Geezer, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a, she's got, a, she's got keys to the garage. She'll fix your car. She always knows where the beer and the fags are. You notice know, she always knows where the fags are. And she makes gimlets. She makes gimlets. Yeah, okay, I'm with you there. I like a gimlet. Yeah, I'm so happy with a gimlet. A, she's our type of person. All right, then. so that's maybe the sequel. It's Mickey's story. Mickey's gimlets is the sequel. Mickey's Gimlets. Mickey's Gimlets and Rabbit Sandwiches. That could We've be our band. All the, all that the could, euphemisms. That could be our band name. <laughs> Mickey Gimlets, supported by Rabbit Sandwiches. <laughs> Please welcome to the stage. Right, so we're going off to Lombard Street for a little bit of um, a love reenactment. reenactment. Yeah, we've just got to huddle in a doorway. Yeah. And um, 
Get you know I'm not all. huddling in a doorway with you, don't you? You bloody are. <laughs> you know I'm. You know this is the tunnel in the Lincolnshire Wolds all over again. It ain't happening. <laughs> but more terrifying. Yeah, but much, much more terrifying. <laughs> I feel we have come up against a rather fierce adversary here. This is a woman who uh, knows what she's about. Yes. In a, uh, she's, she's, a, she's a professional. And we're a pair of amateurs. Let's be honest. That's true. Now, it's worth saying this book is set across three different periods, 1947, 1944, and 1941. Yep. The 1941 is, is probably the least dated part of the book, I would say. Yeah. And then 1947, which is where the book opened, opens, she says it was a Tuesday, the middle of a warm September. Yes. But this whole chapter takes place on the same day, I would say. Pretty the second much. chapter is a Saturday. Yes. So a few days later. Saturday morning, yes. Reggie and Essex go to go to Essex. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then uh, chapter three is two weeks later. Yes. It's Almost week- two weeks since that Saturday. Yeah. The last warm day of summer. Mm-hmm. If we say it's a Tuesday that it starts, it's the 16th or the 23rd of September, isn't it? Yeah. And then you'd say then the Saturday is either the 20th or the 27th. Yeah. So two weeks later, say it's the 20th of September, that Saturday morning. Yeah. Then two weeks later, we're just into the first week of October. Yeah. Now, 1944, which is where the bulk of the novel takes place. Chapter mm. one happens, mm. and she says it's it's a February. It doesn't give a date. No, she says it's a Saturday. Yes. We know it's a Saturday, because, and it's also the monthly visit day for, for the, the for, family for the prison. To, to visit For Duncan. the prison. Yeah. Which I think is always on a Saturday, judging by what happens later yes, on. Yes, I agree. Which is interesting. Yeah. Chapter two. Place. It says a week or so later. Uh, does the the Marylebone Town Hall. The Marylebone Town Hall. Yeah. The one reference that I think I couldn't quite stand up, this one, and this is yeah. the one thing I think is a bit odd. She talks about we're now only 17 miles from Rome. Meaning we, mean? meaning the Allies. Oh, I see. Good spot. The Italian campaign. Yeah. As far as I can tell, I think she's talking really about the Battle of Anzio and the Battle of Monte Cassino. Yes. Which is where the, the Allies, they were stuck on a line around Monte Cassino. Mm. And they were stuck there pretty much until until April, May time. Right. And that's like 100 kilometres from Rome. Ooh. So I don't know what she's talking about there, the 17 well, miles from Rome. I don't know whether there was misinformation in the papers or anything like that. That's what I'm thinking. I've seen... I beca- I'm I'm holding Sarah Waters in such high regard about her specificity. I know. I'm thinking that she's found a dated newspaper article where the government have announced that that's they're 17 miles from Rome. Yeah, when they're not. I had exactly. I've lost my confidence now with this one. You see, because <laughs> normally I would say, "Well, she's got that wrong." Yeah, and I'm like, I'm not prepared to say that. <laughs> no, given no. everything else that's happened, we're on well this. on the back foot, aren't we? Yeah. Chapter three, a week or so later. Yes. So we're now what two weeks from the start. Helen goes to meet Julia again. Her uh, 29th birthday coming up. 29th birthday mm-hmm. coming up. Chapter four is Helen's birthday. Helen is 29. Yeah. So Julia talks about them three weeks ago is when they met, I guess, at uh, Marleyburn Town Hall. Yeah. So this is three weeks after chapter two. Yes, but so, the other point about that is there is there is also mention of another prison visit. There is. Uh, so and so Saturday. if there's a monthly, so and it, it says they're monthly, yeah, so we're in, we're well into March. So now, it's right? one month on. Yeah, at that point. Yeah, we're month, one month on from the first prison visit. Yeah, so we're well into March. Yeah, uh, and uh, Helen goes on an extraordinary walk through the city. Chapter five, which is the last chapter in this section, there's a uh, a, a moon golfer full moon. 
Oh, yes. Do you want to know when it was? I had three full moons. I oh, had, uh, hello. So you've been nicking my moon charts. I had February the 9th, March the 10th, or April the 8th. It's six weeks till they met, and they've been meeting for three weeks, right? So it's six weeks yeah. since chapter one. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it can't be March, I don't think. Not, it can't be the 10th of March, because at no. the earliest it has to be the end of yeah. March. Yeah. So it has to be April. It has to be April the 8th. Do you know what? I thought I'd caught her out on this as yeah. well. Is that, uh, is that all you've got? Uh, well, the, the only other thing I was going to say was <laughs> we've already talked about the Little Blitz being over by the 18th yes. of April. Yes, so that's the point, yeah. isn't it? So April the 8th would work. Well, it's if, feasible. But, well, let's, let's try my theory. So let's say it's April the 8th, Chapter 5. Yeah. So three weeks before April the 8th would be March the 15th. Uh, so you're saying April the 8th is the... Is March the 17th. So, uh, so then you're back to Monday, one week, two... It's the 17th of April. 17th of March. 17th of the March, sorry, yes. Yeah. So you, do we know what was happening on the no. 17th of March in the little bit? Eight. 18th March. I can help you there. Um, in the 18th of March, I'm afraid they were bombing Hull. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> so arguably... Arguably, this doesn't quite work. Well, arguably, it doesn't quite work. If the I, full moon, if if the full moon is a meaningful day, that's why I'm, I'm, you know, th- yeah. Now that you're using the moon charts, <laughs> sorry, I'm discrediting them. I realise they're I, pointless. I realise I am now. I'm playing your tunes, and I apologise. <laughs> but obviously, I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> no, um, but but annoyingly, if you don't, if you discard the full moon, it works. Then I would say that that the Rathbone place is getting bombed. On the 24th of March, 1944. They were laughing like idiots. When the next explosion came further off this time, they laughed more wildly and quickened their pace. Then, in here, said Julia, tugging Helen's hand. She had seen, lit up by the second flash, a sort of baffle wall that had been built across the entrance to an office or a bank. The space it made was deep, jute-scented, impossibly dark. She moved into it as if passing through a curtain of ink and drew Helen in after her. <laughs> Ding dong. So we were saying, um, this is the scene, this is, uh, can it be described as a love-making scene? Yeah, sexy. Great. It's a really sexy scene. Yeah. Sexy scene. Se- sexy time. Um, we, we were saying, done, we we were saying done, we've never actually we haven't done a sex gone scene to the location before. of a sex scene before. <laughs> it's your first time? <laughs> it's my first time. <laughs> and it's your first time too. Um, and uh, we're opposite 67 Lombard Street. We think that's a good shout. We think that's a pretty that good shout. If you're shout. running 50 yards, you've got, you're 50 yards from Bank Station and then you run away from it and then a bomb goes off. But you're off. also just up from St Edmund the Martyr. Yeah, you don't, don't go back as far as the church, Yeah, which is St Edmund's or something. Well, St Edmund right? the Martyr is only about 150 yards from, um, from uh, Bank Station. Yeah. So we're, we're on the corner and we think that's in, in the, somewhere in the uh, in, interior of 67 well I think you could be pulled in there <laughs> <laughs> you could be pulled in there 
<laughs> you also pointed out that we're filming this we're opposite in, Nicholas, in Nicholas Lane. Lane. <laughs> Sorry, this is, we've turned into euphemistic school children. We've turned into a carry-on movie. But this isn't the worst thing that we've Ooh, seen on the street. you've had me down Nicholas Lane. This isn't the worst thing about this street. The what? worst thing about this street was we're walking up the street and you saw a grasshopper hanging out oh, the front of yes, the building. Yes, and, so and I said, this is a perfect spot to make out. Because it's... Well, because it's the, the, the symbol of the Gresham family who founded the school Greshams. I don't know if you've heard of it. Somehow... It's a, it's a boarding school. Somehow we managed to get your boarding school into every single edition Part of this Part of podcast. my challenge to wind you up. It's really... Well, you know... It's, it's working. succeeding. Um, and you said, I'm not, I'm not doing a sex scene under, sex under scene the under symbol the of Greshams. <laughs> I said, well, I've done it loads of times. So. <laughs> Okay, it's been that kind of conversation. So, we're at the end of our walk. We're at the end of our walk, so, and we're, which is quite near the end of the book, isn't it? Quite near the end of the book. Well, it's quite near the end of the 1941 section of the yes. book, right? Yeah. No, and then 44 the, the la- section of the book. 44 rather. section, and the last, the last, the last section, section is 1941. And it's quite short, actually. It's, it's quite just short. three scenes, isn't it, of really... I like this about this book. It's sort of like where it all starts for each of them. As it were, so the, and okay. this idea that there's a half hour in your life Everything that changes. defines what's yeah. going to happen to you. So Duncan's encounter with Alec, yeah. Kay's encounter with uh, Helen, yeah. um, Viv's encounter with Reggie. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's a, it's, you know, it's clever. Yeah. And it's quite moving that idea that I was trying to think. I was trying to think. When's the half hour happening for me? She's been quite even-handed as well, hasn't she? She's got two same-sex relationships and one uh, mixed-sex relationship. She's got all the uh, all the uh, all the combinations. <laughs> <laughs> a bit like Julia. <laughs> a bit like Julia. Yeah. No, it, uh, well, that's what's great about the book is it's um, it normalises everybody's behaviour, is it, or, or inclination. Uh, she, all, everyone is a human being under the she sun. She wears that. She wears it's all good. that stuff with a very light touch. It's very. It's clever. all very good. So, um, so uh, we've reached the end of our walk. Highly recommended. We're in the city of London. It's really excellent. We're going to get the tube from Bank back no, down. No, we're going into the 67 for Copperfield. We're going to 67 for a quick Copperfield. <laughs> no, we're not doing that. We're not. All right. And staying firmly in Nicholas Lane. Have you seen the reading list at the back of this book? Uh, it runs to four pages or something, doesn't it? It's extraordinary. It is extraordinary. It's sort of like, well, if you would be, if you're interested, it's, it's, it's out show noting our show notes, isn't it? It is. This is somebody who uh, puts a lot of time and effort and thought into uh, the uh, the facts in her book. And given that we call ourselves the Curiously Specific Book Club, yeah. we have to doff our caps. I think we may have found... To that level. I think we have both feel we found somebody who takes um, the uh, the remit of this podcast and runs with it with, with quite spectacular results. Yeah. Good. Uh, my 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 point, my realization for that was when I thought I had her coming out of Mecklenburg Place, and I realized that there was an artfully placed comma that yeah. changed the whole meaning. Of yeah, that. I was and the same was, about the Baby Blitz saying there weren't any bombs dropping then, and then I realized, oh no, yeah. oh no, actually, there's a week there that it would kind of work. Okay, yeah. So I was getting very excited with Ked that we'd caught her out, and then we hadn't. So we reached the point of the podcast where we like to give our our, our scores. We have yeah. an artistic merit score. Yeah, and we have a curiously specific rating. Yeah, uh, well, I, 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 I'm. It's a ten for QSpec rating. A ten. It's a ten. It's a ten. Yeah, I'm not going. I'm not. Where we, it. Everywhere we walked, it was pretty. It was solid. 
it yeah. took, everything was there that you needed. I'm slightly worried about the dates of the incendiary devices on Wormwood Scrubs. <laughs> so I'm removing <laughs> that's half a, a... That's a phrase you never thought I'm you'd live to say. I'm removing half a mark. I'm going for nine and a half. <laughs> Your 16-year-old self is looking at you like, what did you just say? Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I give it nine and a half. Do you not know halves? No halves. Right, well, nine then. Nine. 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 Nine and a ten. Those are... Stonking. Have we ever given a nine to anyone before? Uh, no, alone not, a ten. Not on, not on Q-Spec. No. I mean, we're obviously on Artistic. So you've given her a perfect rating. Well, I, I don't think it gets any better I've known you for a long this. time, and I can't tell you how... I mean, if Sarah Waters is listening to this... <laughs> I don't think it gets at any this better. Point, at this point, you just fall on your knees and weep. <laughs> So, 10 and a 9. Okay, so artistic artistic rating. Uh, yeah. I'm going really high on that Go as on well. Then. I'm going... Hold on a minute. I'm going 9. Wow. Yeah, I'm going 9. You've never given a 9 before, have you? Yes, I have. I gave Gwendolyn Riley a Gwendolyn 9. Riley. And I gave Barry, Barry Hines a 9. Okay. I would have given Barry Hines a 10 if Barry Hines had given himself a 10, but he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think I found this book more challenging than you did, and I've been thinking a lot about that actually because I thought I found the writing to be uh, a bit, I guess, pedestrian at times. But I think that's because of that. I think it's a deliberate artistic. I think I think she was deliberately trying to write a romance book, and you know I've read Fingersmith and Tipping the Velvet, and I loved them. Yeah, and actually, you know. You're not one of those haters, are you? Who well, said that if you're not going to write about lesbians, I'm not interested. I like, I like, I like big, heavy, gothic style. As anyone who's read one of my books, <laughs> as a big, big, heavy kind of slightly sort of over the top, you know, descriptive um, prose. Yeah, uh, that gothic style. I really love that. And she was obviously trying to not do that for this book. She was trying to change her register and trying to change her yeah, mode. She, yeah. So although I think she achieved what she set out to do, yeah. I didn't personally care for it very much. Okay. So Wow. Also, the other thing, and again, it's a similar thing, I found the characters really hard to get on with. Right. I, by get on with, I meant to like. Okay. And um, again, I think that's deliberate. Right. I think, you know, we had a good conversation while we were out on the street about, you know, you know, what what are you supposed to make of you know the way these characters behave? And I think they all behave like actual human beings. Yeah. They're flawed. They make mistakes. They make bad decisions. Yeah, and they get bent out of shape, don't they? Uh, but I found Helen impossible. I find Fraser impossible. Yeah. I think Judy is a cow. I think Kay's Gosh. coercive. Gosh. And, you know, the only character I really like is Mickey, and she's be- she's she's only not really a main central character. So I just yeah, and Duncan's insipid. You know, it's just it's just. Do you know what I mean? I mean is it, no, I don't know what you mean. I, I, didn't, I didn't find that about any of them. All right, so I'm I'm giving her yeah. a seven for Autistic Merit. Gosh, gosh. It's such a technical feat, though, to put together a it book is. like that. It is. And I have to say, I like the fact she does sort of mash it. She says about her Victorian books that they're a mash-up of sort of some of the documentary books about the London poor and the, the, the cr- mm. criminal scene and then mashed up with Wilkie Collins. Yeah. And I was thinking, and with this, it's sort of like, Oh yeah, no. This is a this is a whole load of knowledge about World War Two, sort of the plight of uh, women and conscientious objectors and and the Blitz and all that, mashed up with late nineteen forties, nineteen fifties sort of um, brief encounter type passion, you know, uh, well, novels and stuff. So she sort of she sets herself these great challenges of sort of mashing up her research materials with her reading. And, and well, I think pulls I just, it off. I think it's I think it's interesting. I think it's uh, you know to what extent when you respond to a book, 
yeah, is it? Yeah, it's always it's obviously possible to to dislike a book while admiring it. Yes, and that's I've kind true. of got a bit of that going on. I think. Yeah, I dislike the characters, yeah. but uh, it's it's obviously a, a, you know a, an incredible achievement. But I think it was. But hard, it's only a seven. I think it was hard won on her part. Okay, and I think that at times that 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 come through i still think then it's quite good isn't it so massive schools massive schools so you've got you've got 16 yeah and i've got 19, 19. so that's 35 is that the, is that our biggest school yet absolutely it is yeah i think the only book that we've done that comes that might have got there from series one when we weren't had dole, when we weren't reducing things to a stupid mark yeah uh was tinker taylor soldier spy yeah i think that might have got up there yeah So that was the Night Watch by Sarah Waters. Yes, you wouldn't you wouldn't kiss me up the Lombard Street, would you? I wouldn't kiss you up in anywhere. Or Nicholas Lane, was it? <laughs> Certainly not in Nicholas Lane. Uh, we've got some thanks to t- to do uh, as we do at the end of every podcast. Yes, I'd like to thank uh, uh, Vera Lynn. <laughs> really? I mean, we all, we should all be thanking Vera Lynn. We're, we're recording this oh, in the midst of the uh, of the funeral of Queen oh. Elizabeth II. Uh, who, uh, and Vera Lynn's memory is, is seriously entangled with that whole, whole uh. thing. But anyway, we had we had two songs from Vera Lynn. On the first episode, we had "When the Lights Go On Again." Yes, yeah, very. And on the second one, one um, we had a song that I discovered. I was telling you this earlier. I discovered watching an old episode of Star Trek Voyager. How unusual for you to be doing that? Uh, which where was uh, where the crew were uh, in a holodeck reenacting things from the Second World War, and seven of nine was a nightclub singer in France, and she was singing this song called It Can't Be Wrong, which I thought had a lot of uh, echoes with the story of the Night Watch. Um, is it, is it, would it be wrong to kiss you? Oh. Um, so I thought that was good. I'd also like to thank, or at least acknowledge, Donald Saunders, who was the uh, conscientious objector that you heard uh, in episode two, talking about his, um, his reasons for objecting. He was a Quaker. Uh, his father was imprisoned as a conscientious objector in the First World War. Oh, okay. Um, if you can watch the whole of his his interview uh, on YouTube, it is actually very moving um, and makes you realise quite how brave, actually, conscientious objectors were in, mm-hmm. in the Second World War. And the last thank you is to the BBC Sound Effects Archive. So the bombs that you heard and the air raid sirens and the, and the ambulance were all real sounds from the Second World War uh, from the BBC Sound Effects Archive. So that was a real... Ambulance from the, uh, from the ambulance you, service. when you go to the immersive experience at the Imperial War Museum yeah. of the Blitz, I think they use their archive sounds yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah. So I'd uh, recommend that, by the way, if you've not been to it. It's well, great. I would commend the BBC Sound Effects Archive. You can lose entire days in there <laughs> listening, to, listening to weird, <laughs> weird stuff. So thanks to all them. So we need to say thank you to Learning Music again. Yeah, for, uh, for our sting, for our for our little theme, bassy loop that you can get hold of on the free music archive. We need to say hello to Rue Howe. Hello, Rue. Hello. He is one of the fabulous people who has paid up five pounds, five of your English pounds, to become a community member on Patreon. Which means he gets all the stuff, like the uh, the immediate episodes, ad-free listening, photos, videos, maps, all that kind of stuff. But we also have a Discord server where we have a really good conversation with uh, a few hardy souls. Yeah, and knowledgeable uh, as well. And Blimey. Really knowledgeable. Intimidatingly knowledgeable. Intimidatingly well-read. Well, Rue has put forward some very interesting books already. Yeah. He's quite, he, I think he lives in Bristol and uh, has put forward the idea we ought to go and do a Bristol novel. Okay. 
He's quite keen on Sherlock Holmes as well. He's really keen on Sherlock Holmes. So that's two in the pot. Yeah. Uh, so if you join us in there, you can put your suggestions in. Yeah. We're not saying we're going to do them, but <laughs> we, we, we might have. But to, we're happy to talk about. We might it. have to employ some millions to all the books that have been. <laughs> yeah, all the books that have so been far. mentioned. Yeah. Rather extraordinary. And my final thanks goes to Wikipedia. Okay. Well, thing is, you will have noticed, listener, that I use and we both use we both use Wikipedia, Wikipedia quite a lot. I think we're both a bit sceptical about some of the information that's there. Yeah, you have to be slightly careful. Slightly careful, but the fact that it is there is a thing of wonder. It's just one of the one of the things that makes the internet joyous. Yeah, I mean, as a pair of old internet hippies like we are, there there were supposed to be lots of things like Wikipedia on the internet, and they yeah. still are to some extent. But no, they're wrong. It's the main. It's the main. It's all thing. rubbish. Yeah, there's a lot of rubbish. <laughs> Spoken like an old hippie. It's all rubbish. Yeah. Um, and I recently, they are on a f- funding campaign at the moment, and they sent me an email saying, "Can you give us some money?" So I gave them some money. I have a direct debit going out once Good a month. on you. Good on you. So if, if you too use Wikipedia a lot, don't forget, it doesn't happen for free. Um, it needs to be funded. And uh, you should give them a little bit of your money if you're taking advantage of what is a wonderful resource. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Thank you. And on that note, we should, we should see you next week. Oh, yeah. Where uh, Another bloody we're, we're, blitz novel well it's a bit it's a bit wider than the blitz novel the next one we're doing um it's uh it starts off in buckinghamshire yeah. takes us to kensington uh and we we end up again in a pub on glasshouse street well extraordinarily yes we we started a golf course and end in a pub yeah <laughs> it was ever thus yeah when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.